0: another
1: episode of The Last Ones In Podcast. I am your host, Jariah Archuleta, and then with me today we have a... Hello. And then back with the
2: Reckoning, Robbie. Hey. After two weeks of not being on. Yeah, that was kind of out of town, a little bit out of my control. Please don't crucify me over it. (laughs) We, uh,
1: we in passing mentioned that you weren't on. Um, (laughs) At least once. I'm sure you did, I'm sure you did. (laughs) (laughs) So Yeah. I guess right away I'll say the movie that we're watching today is none other than Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, Um, since it's not exactly safe to go to the movies, and I personally need my Christopher Nolan fix, uh, Dunkirk. So here you go, instead of Tenet, which I am dying (laughs) inside not being able to go and see
3: Tenet. Have you even seen the ones before it? One through nine it? Oh, that. <laughs> that was pretty good. That, that. was pretty hurt. <laughs>
1: Oh, that was... <laughs> well, before we start talking about Dunkirk, let's go with Robbie right away. Okay. What's up? What's been going on?
2: <sighs> busy. Busy as usual. Uh, the reason why I was gone for the past couple of weeks is because I had to drive down to my mom's place to go help them paint their house because they felt that they needed to put a fresh coat of paint on the house. You know, so I basically drove 200 miles so I could go and tape off windows and hold ladders because I didn't do most of the actual painting. <laughs> I just was moving scaffolding, moving ladders, and taping off windows.
1: You were muscle and detail.
2: Yeah, more or less. Cool. But because of the fact that I worked nights and I mostly worked, like I always say, a vampire shift, I ended up getting a sunburn that turned into a tan, and now it just looks like my arms and face are dirty. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the look I strive for in my personal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I look a little dirty all the time. Besides that, I'm actually getting closer to E's look because I, well, have like the quarantine hair now. So, my, <laughs> this is the longest my hair has been since probably high school, which it doesn't look like it, but like my bangs are almost down to my mouth. But since I slick my hair back, it doesn't look like it. That and I just have a beard. Because yeah. Why not?
1: Uh, your beard grows in like three days, though.
2: That's fair. Like, if I shave, it's a month until I have facial hair again. Yeah, it's been like a month since I've actually shaved. So I actually have like enough hair that I can actually pull on it if I wanted to now. I'm not jealous. You just tried (laughs) growing it better.
1: Oh, that's the thing.
2: That's what I did. That's how I got the one. Apparently the secret is to just not want a beard because I don't want a beard, but my hair just (laughs) grows fast on my face. So I have no other choice.
1: And then us who want a beard badly just never get
3: one. (laughs) Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's that weird catch 22. I tell everyone my secret. You just don't shave.
1: (laughs) I tried to not shave. I don't shave for so long.
3: Yeah, you gotta keep going at it. You can't, <laughs> you, stop, you don't get to give up. You're telling me dedication is my problem. Yeah, I'm okay. saying you need to not shave longer.
0: <laughs> if someone tells you that your
2: face looks dirty, you just keep on growing the beard. If, you just, if you're if you sitting on the sidewalk and someone gives you a dollar because they mistake you for a homeless <laughs> bump, you just keep growing the beard. You're like, I was drinking this coffee. Why'd you put money in it? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get another coffee now with now my dirty coffee money, apparently. This isn't even <laughs> enough to get another coffee.
1: <laughs> I always have quarters in my coffee.
2: <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've been helping with that and... This is actually the first time I've had a real weekend in quite some time, like probably like a month and a half.
1: Yeah, which is insane. Yeah,
2: I think part of that is because, like I was telling you guys downstairs, I think uh, my shady apartment management made shady apartment things <laughs> to make me pay more more in rent. So I've had to just work more to be able to survive to live twenty minute. All right,
0: able to survive minutes. a twenty minute drive <laughs> away
2: from work.
1: I thought, I thought you were going say I need to work my ass off so I can survive for twenty minutes at a time. Kind
2: (laughs) of. Since, I guess another thing I should say is whenever I went down to my mom's to go help her paint, my birthday happened. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So I ended up getting a nice Steam card and now I'm playing uh, Horizon Zero Dawn on PC, which is pretty good. Cool. Uh, Which is sad because I also own it on PS4, but I just like mouse and keyboard more.
0: (laughs) Of course. Okay, well,
3: uh, mouse and keyboard is pretty good for certain games. I don't know about... No, no. Robbie
1: has a problem Mouse and keyboards suck for third-person games. Robbie has a problem. What do you mean? I can you can control the
3: camera with your mouse. Yeah.
1: It's the walking part. It's The, the walking is the most important part of a third-person.
3: Fine. Just it's have a controller as- in one hand and then use the other one with the mouse. That actually sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just like
2: first-person motive, but instead of seeing a gun on the screen, you see an actual person. Nah, you walk differently, man. Not really. It feels different. <laughs> I guess we agree mean? to disagree on that one. <laughs> it feels different. I don't know what to tell you. I think it feels great. Especially yeah. when you're playing Dark Souls. No, I'm kidding. No. No <laughs> no one plays Dark Souls no, with the mouse and keyboard. That is
1: actually just a mistake as a human being. Yeah, it actually
2: is.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, another thing. We also got like heavily rained on at one point in time, and I got to see what paint are melting off of a house looked like. Ooh. Yeah.
3: That's like fun. tripping balls.
2: <laughs> Probably. Like, uh, like whenever I say like it. Poured on us like it went literally from like we felt like little droplets coming down, like, oh, like, you know, start taking everything down. Like, we're gonna, or it's gonna rain, so we can't be de- painting while it's raining. And like, as we were like, you know, getting uh, the painting supplies down and everything like that, like, it just started pouring and pouring on us. And I had detailed duty of holding a tarp over my sister and her husband to. <laughs> so they can empty the paint gun out.
3: Just in general, like, yeah, I just had to stand out there in the rain holding a scarf so other people didn't get wet. I had night guards, so you know
2: how it is. (laughs) And it made it funner just because it was like a rain-hail mix, so it was fucking cold.
1: That sounds awful. I know, right?
2: (laughs) But on top of that, I got to try to calm my mom down because, like, there were just puddles of white all over the ground from the paint melting off the
3: house. Cool. Yeah, and then we got to repaint all that, so that was fun.
2: Yeah, that sounds
1: like a blast.
3: (laughs) You just, like, dipped your roller in that puddle. and
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's why I decided not to do overtime, is so I can go and deal with that shit. (laughs) Cool.
1: Well, uh, I guess E, what's been going on with you?
3: I beat Earthbound, which is a game I started in 2012.
1: Oh, so you finally got there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it
3: was it was more an off and on thing, as probably you can guess. But um <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think
2: I've started playing that game like four or five separate times and I still have yet to beat
3: that game. I I love it. I think it's probably one of the best RPGs I've played. It does suffer a bit from being an RPG made in the nineties. Right. Like nineteen
2: ninety six or nineteen ninety-three. Some some other like time. That.
3: I was I got super pissed because you know they did the dumb RPG thing it was like hey, here's an enemy that could just one-hit kill you. And it's like, yeah. why would you put this in the game?
1: <laughs> but it, on the other side, it has my favorite RPG mechanic that's never used up to where, like... Ticking down? No, like, if you run into an enemy that you just are way overpowered for, you just automatically yes. win the fight.
3: I really, if I make an RPG, I want that to be a mechanic. Yeah, like, how has nobody used that? It's so good. I know, like, I, I really don't... Like, I know some games will do a thing where, like, your the enemies will just stop being there, but Earthbound really does cool stuff, like enemies start to run away from you when you beat the yeah. boss, and that's yeah. such a clever mechanic.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Like, that, it yeah. just has a bunch of stuff that I don't know why other people haven't stolen it.
3: Uh, well, one, Earthbound did not sell very well, and while right. it inspired a lot of really good games, you don't want it to steal everything. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, that would definitely be something. Um, also, Hypnospace Outlaw yeah. uh, got an update recently oh so i replayed it and on this playthrough since i wasn't so like like i need to beat the game i actually got to just like take time and just like explore everything and god that is such an amazing game hypnospace outlaw that's the 90s internet simulator
1: right yeah yeah, yeah. okay okay yeah, a, yeah, yeah. oh
3: man it's such an amazing game and replaying it like cemented how much i actually just love that game because it just oozes charm everywhere
1: yeah, that's what I've heard.
3: I've not played it myself, but it looks, it looks fun. Hey, you know, it's coming on Switch. <laughs> that doesn't help me I at know. all. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's actually coming on PS4 or something as well, honestly.
1: I mean, I also have a computer.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but are you going to get it? Oh, <laughs> <Well>, no. <laughs> I have to sick. be this in the spot actually... room and play a video game then.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is actually my first time hearing about this game.
3: Uh, It's amazing. It but came out 2018, 2019, one of those. Um, I believe it was late 2019. I guess to give you a general download, the game is basically you are a moderator for the internet forums oh. in the '90s. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> it uses charm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was. Oh, man, I love that game so much. <laughs> so, you know, two games beat, and one I beat before, but, like, that's that's a new record for me. It's pretty good. That was a good week. <laughs> Earthbound was hilarious because, like, uh, you know, I, I finally set up this TV, so I'll hook up my Wii U because that's what I bought it on. <laughs> and then I, I was like, oh, yeah, yo, I love Earthbound. I had to figure out where the hell I was. So, like, I just, like, opened a walkthrough and started, like, looking randomly throughout stuff to see if I saw it. I recognized
1: bit. what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But, um, so, like, I did it two hours, then I ate, and I was like, I'll just put a little more time, and then I played for six hours to beat it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than that, um, school stuff being dumb. Oh, yeah, I did a documentary about veggie Tales.
1: Oh. You're watching a lot of documentaries.
3: I, so here's the trick. I do a lot, but there are always YouTube documentaries, so in my mind, I'm like, ah, they're not gonna count that. It counts. Yeah.
1: I watch a lot of video game YouTube documentaries. They're very good.
3: But... How is the host who may or may not have the most?
1: <laughs> yeah, you weren't here for this, Robbie. Right. There was an argument about who had the most or whether it was important who had the most. <laughs> and uh, Rocky just has some deep-seated issues he needs to work through. <laughs> How is the host with the toast? <laughs> uh, Good. Doing good, I think. Or okay, at least. I, had, uh, I took a bunch of extra days off this week from the actual job. Um... <laughs> And just kind of hung around and watched a whole bunch of stuff and rewatched a bunch of stuff and, and painted a house. Didn't paint a house, <laughs> oh, but okay. I that, I did play Marvel's me. Avengers on PS4 for quite a bit of time. Really fun. Like all the marketing and like all of the press stuff that they put out was always about like the end game and like the online and the co op. And they didn't mention how good their single player is
3: because that's, that's single... not what sells, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, but like their single player is honestly really fucking good. That what... make you
3: feel like an Avenger. Yes. Wow. Um.
1: And it puts it starts you through the eyes of Ms. Marvel, who started as not a mute, uh, mutant or anything. She's an Inhuman who uh got her powers through an event that happened through Avengers in this, and so she was like a huge Avengers fan, and so like she has like memorabilia, and she reads the comics, and like she likes them a bunch. She goes to like conventions for them.
3: That still hmm. seems weird to be in universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's comics about them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have comics about everything here. So. Um. But yeah. So. She's, like, a huge fan and then gets powers and becomes an Avenger, and you get to see her, like, fangirl out to, like, the Avengers and, like, Hulk and, like, get to learn that, like, oh, these people that, like, I really love are, like, still human and have a bunch of problems.
3: So she goes through Spider-Man's story arc.
1: Kind of, yeah. Except her powers are from a weird thing, <laughs> like a radioactive thing, basically. Almost like radioactive spider, but not quite.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, this sounds kind of like... They had written this to put Spider-Man in that position. Well, I mean, Ms. Marvel's just,
1: existed before.
3: Right, but, like, does this character arc feels very Spider-Man. Maybe, oh, maybe. And maybe. it's kind of convenient that, like, Sony has the Sony Spider-Man. I don't know if this is Sony's Avengers.
1: No, no, it's not. Right. Um, this is Square Enix's Avengers. It is. Um, hmm. Crystal Dynamics. But, <laughs> no, like, Ms. Marvel feels right, like right. she fits. Like, it's very much written for her character. Okay, <laughs> And... It's, it's awesome, because, like, you don't really see that kind of representation and anything like that, and it's really, really cool just to see, like, this very human look at, like, oh, right, Bruce Banner, like, has a bunch of fucking problems because he has this giant beast hidden inside of him, and he doesn't know how to deal with it, and, like, oh, yeah, Tony Stark is, like, a manipulative asshole who is also an alcoholic, and, like, just looking at the very human side of all these characters is really fun. And then the gameplay's fun. It's, it's a beat 'em up basically. Mm. It's an action-adventure, almost like a, our Ultimate Alliance. But, enough about our boring lives, let's talk about the film this week, Dunkirk. Wow. Directed, written, produced by Christopher Nolan. He did the whole thing. Yeah, so I guess I should
3: just ask uh, E. Hi. What, what, what do you think this movie's about? War movie. World War II. Wow! A bunch of sounds come up, <laughs> uh, airplanes flying over. That was the trailer. That's literally every trailer I saw. It was just a, a plane flying over. Uh, they're all getting bombed, and Mr. Kirk himself has to escape. I know his name's not Kirk. Kirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the movie. Like, he's Kirk, and at the end of the movie, he's done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> your, but, uh, your pun game is just... <laughs>
3: <laughs> but it, to be honest, like, I, I just am imagining a war movie about being in the trench at Dunkirk. I don't know if it's a trench, but... And I'm going to out myself. I don't actually like war movies much. I'm hoping this one changes my mind. I don't know if it will change your mind.
1: I think it's a different flavor than what you think it is.
3: Yeah. Well, I imagine it's not going to be like,
1: yeah, war's awesome. <laughs> it's Christopher Nolan. So, yeah. yeah. Not, yay, war's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there
3: we go. Mr. Dunkirk himself has to avoid dying in a <laughs> trench.
2: <laughs> All right. Uh, Robbie. I don't know. Like, I. I got the sense it was a World War I movie, honestly, from the trailer. Because once again, I've only seen trailers of it. And I saw trailers of it back whenever it was still in theaters. And I haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet. I know that this movie and... Uh, 1947. No. 1917. That- <laughs> no, you want to show me that one. I was going to say... It's one that my mom wants me to see. It's the one about the American war slayer. medic that doesn't want to carry a gun with him in Team the Fortress middle of battle 2. because he's not a... Hacksaw Ridge? Hacksaw Ridge, yeah. She wanted what? me to see Dunkirk and Hacksaw Ridge because she says... both like marks. a horror movie. No, no. <laughs> oh. uh, that's
3: hot. I mean, horrors something. of war,
2: if you want to put it that way. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true.
2: But yeah, uh, I know my mom you know, I kept on recommending I watch Dunkirk and Hacksaw Ridge. And know both those are about war. I don't know if they're about the same war, but they're about war. Uh, Very different
1: movies. Very, yeah. very, very different movies.
2: <laughs> but yeah, these kind of fell into the realm of around the time. Well, I guess now is still technically around that time. of Around the time that I stopped going to the theater because I was working all the time. And I just... I think the main reason why I went to the theater with you all the time is because I actually had someone to go with. And it feels weird going alone for me. I loved going to the theater alone. <laughs> Drya took me to the theater like four times. So
3: I have that effect on people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're like, like hey, the one to watch Spidey Man.
2: <laughs> Whenever I lived with Drya, I think for the first month we went to the movies at, at a minimum of once a week.
3: I think Drya is taking me to the movies almost as much as my family has in my entire life. Yeah, I went to the movies more
2: with Drya within the first month of living with him than I did the entire six, year, seven years that I lived in Utah. So That's insane!
1: How do you guys just not go to movies? It's the best experience it's
3: because they have those on TV and they're animated and on Cartoon Network.
1: And the audience can't hear this, but I'm glaring at you.
3: <laughs> he's, gl- he's glaring with content because he knows that Cartoon Network's animated. Straight to TV movies are just so good that if they were released in theater, (laughs) all theaters would melt from the pure imagery. Oh, that,
1: yeah,
2: that's what would
0: have been the glare that he's given me. Totally.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What they said. Uh, Yeah, I love the theater. (laughs) I know. To be fair, though, like the Dolby Atmos theaters are pretty fucking great. Pretty great. Yeah. For me, at least, the Dolby Atmos theater with 100 different speakers beats out uh, having a really nice image quality. But that's just me. Yeah, the sound quality in a theater is much bigger than the visual quality for me. And to be fair, though, even like the Dolby Atmos theater like that, uh, the screen itself is still great. Like watching movies on Dolby Atmos and then watching it on a normal TV or a normal movie projector in a different theater is like a night and day difference. Yeah, (laughs) it really is, actually. I used
3: to watch things on my Game Boy Advance, so I can't really (laughs)
2: speak. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, like I still remember the 144p days of YouTube, so yeah.
3: Uh, I guess
1: let's read the back of this box.
3: Yeah.
2: From filmmaker Christopher
1: Nolan comes the epic action thriller Dunkirk, starring Theon Whitehead, Kenneth Branagh, Mark Rylance, and Tom Hardy. The story unfolds on land, sea, and air as hundreds of thousands of British and allied troops are trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk, with enemy troops closing in. RAF Spitfires engage the enemy in the skies above the channel, trying to protect the defenseless men below. Meanwhile, hundreds of small boats manned by both military officers and civilians are mounting a desperate rescue effort, risking their lives in a race against time to save even
2: a fraction of their army. War. War. War never changes, except for when it does. Except for when it does. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll
1: say this is a... Uh, I went into this movie expecting something very different. I expected very much a war movie, and uh, it's, it's really not. It's really not a war movie. Hmm. It is and it isn't. It's, it's, you know how, like, war movies have,
2: like, a, the last ten minutes, and, like, everyone's, like, trying to escape. Imagine if that was the entire movie. So, basically, the entire movie is, like, the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan.
1: No. It's <laughs> the last ten.
2: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Which means nothing to
3: eat, but... No, yeah. I haven't seen Mr. Ryan myself.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I guess that just leaves the uh, important information... Which, before even E asks, I actually sure. do have the information here. Whoa! Um, Dunkirk came out 2017. Rated PG-13. Wow. For intense war experience and some language. Spanish? Because there's only <laughs> some language during <laughs> an
2: intense war. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can't... It's not on any streaming services. So 3.99 from YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, and Amazon. Yeah. And uh, today... Uh, just so you guys know the experience that we're getting with this, watching it in 4K with 5.1 surround sound. Uh, so once we get into talking about the movie, when we start talking about some of that stuff, keep that in mind that we had a fairly good cinema experience uh, going into this. And it's definitely not a movie that you should watch on your phone. I expect a wind turbine. <laughs> to
2: just but what if we watch <laughs> it on our Game Boy Advance? <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be a fucking way. I bet there's a fucking way.
3: <laughs> but I may have missed it. Did you say how long this movie was? I didn't.
1: That's a good point, E. It's 106 minutes. Not too bad. No,
2: it's, it's very short, actually.
1: That is right. Especially for a Nolan film. <laughs> for A, no- for a, a Nolan f-
2: film, and for B, a war movie. That's rather short, because yes. most war movies that I grew up watching were fucking long.
1: Yeah. Uh, this movie definitely has a point that it's trying to make. And uh, before I say too much, let's yeah. just get into it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll be right back with our non-spoilery thoughts on Dunkirk. All right. And we are back. From watching Dunkirk. Uh, And we're just going to jump right into it here. We're going to go with E first. Hello. What did you think of this movie? It's
3: solid. Um, (laughs) Again, as I said earlier, I think I just, I'm not like super into war movies. Mm -hmm. Something about the structure of them isn't my damn. I'd say this is probably the best one I've seen, but when you're comparing it to like American Sniper and the tank one. Fury. Fury. Those are... Those, Those are, are weird. Basically propaganda, games. I would yeah, argue. Yeah, so yeah. this They're- one doesn't feel as well, it's not even American, so I can't say if- <laughs> <laughs> from an American experience if it's propaganda. Um It's it's fine, like structurally it's very sound. Um I have some issue with the pacing of a spe- one of the parts. We'll go into, I can go into that later. Okay. But um Yeah, it's fine. Uh I bet if I was more into war then I would <laughs> <laughs> then I would like it more. <laughs> As okay. the movie goes, it's pretty good. Okay. I may stream if you want, I guess. Okay. I, it's okay. not a movie I would go out my way to see again. <laughs> the sound is great.
1: Yeah, the sound <laughs> is very Christopher Nolan, very yeah, loud. Yeah. That's and so it fits this
3: time because it's a, it's a war movie yeah. instead of Batman, and he fell down a cave.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> that's something that Nolan gets... Uh, hit for a lot of criticism is his movies are extremely
3: loud right and um, you can't hear the dialogue because it's so loud
1: yeah with Tenant, I've been reading some reviews and that's a lot of people's big complaint is that it's so loud I can't hear what the characters are saying but yeah I think I think his loudness fits in this pretty well
3: yeah and it's not like there's much dialogue to really drown out in this movie <laughs> yes which I'll, I'll say I, that's actually a positive I think it actually does nail limited dialogue yeah. I think even without the characters telling you, you can really understand what they're feeling.
1: Yeah, it does a great job of just feeling that dread and hopelessness um, in war that I think a lot of things actually don't really do very well.
3: Yeah, I think most of the war movies are propaganda, I'd argue. Yes, I agree. Yeah.
1: I, agree. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think you're right. There's usually two flavors, at least in America, there's two
2: flavors of war movie. There's anti-war and propaganda.
1: Yeah, and I think as war movies go, this doesn't quite fall in either camp. I think in portions it falls in both. But I don't think it's—it's it's not pro-war and it's not anti-war. It's—I feel it's like, more of
2: a. This is just an event that happened.
3: I, I would say it accurately represents the public's opinion of war during this time. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment I would give. Yeah. But enough about Mister. I don't care about war. Uh, Ravi, <laughs> how do you? <laughs> so it is structured very differently from other war movies, which is both a
2: up and a downside. I would mm-hmm. say for this movie. Uh, I do kind of agree with E that it is structured with like the way that it tells the story kind of weirdly. And they make a couple weird decisions, which if you know more about what the actual evacuation of Dunkirk probably isn't all that big of a deal. But if you go in completely blind, I'm pretty sure it could be kind of jarring to watch it. But we'll probably get more into that when it comes to the spoilers of it. But (laughs) (laughs) all in all, it is still a solid movie. It is very good. It is very Christopher Nolan-y when it comes to like you said, the sound, the color grading, the way that the everybody acts in it. There's certain people that seem to be in every single Christopher Nolan movie, and they're in this movie too, because of course they are. He likes some people, yeah, he does Th- that's he- not a bad thing though, but like, yeah, it is <laughs> But it's what you know, it's just one of those things you have certain directors, like they always have at least just that one person that's in all of their movies. yeah, that's something yeah.
1: that uh, ties it back in. Yeah, so one thing I'll say for people listening is uh this is very christopher nolan and he likes to fuck with time and all of his movies there's some sort of fuckery with time that he does yeah um so this one is three storylines around dunkirk that are hap that you get to see simultaneously happen but they're all very different time spans
2: yeah and that kind of threw me off a bit to be honest with you but yeah my first viewing um it was a bit
1: confusing so like wait why is it night why is it day and then like it took a while to click like oh right this is hap. this is a very long span of time happening very short for these people, and it's a very short amount of time happening and a very long
2: amount of time for these other people. Yeah, but I figured I'd get more into that when I, we get into the spoilery talks of it. Sure. But other than that, like, it is still a solid movie all around. Like, not even just a solid war movie. It's just a solid movie all around. And I would say it's at least worth watching, but since it's somewhat impossible to stream at this current <laughs> point in time, I'd say it's worth at least a rent. It's worth watching, at least. Uh, I feel, like I said, it's one of those... Do some research on the actual evacuation of Dunkirk in 1940 before watching it. It will probably help out a little bit. And also, like Dry said to know that this is three separate time, or timelines and it doesn't exactly move in a linear fashion. It moves back and forth a lot. Yeah. If you keep those in mind, it's still a really good movie and I'd say it's worth seeing.
1: Yeah. As for me, I really, really do love this movie. Uh, I have the rose tinted glasses of the first time I saw it, it was in the very middle row, the very middle of an aisle in IMAX. So yeah, I got that, a basically perfect sound mixing right into my yeah. ears. Could um, feel like you were getting
3: exploded.
1: Yeah, actually, like it was an IMAX theater, and the seats don't just shake; they don't have those built in. But the seats shook because the bass was just that powerful in that theater. Uh, we should
2: also say it's not technically not IMAX. Tech, er, in all technicality, yes. it's the Dolby Atmos theater. No, no. Which, uh, there is an IMAX theater here, but it's oh. not. Up it's to not standard true.
1: IMAX. Yeah, the, it's okay. the projector that's the problem. Right. Um, the seating and the sound is all uh IMAX standard, but the projector itself, the image quality isn't up to standard. Okay. Yeah.
2: But yeah. I, I was thinking of the Dolby Atmos theater that we went to all the time. Which... No, the
1: Dolby Atmos is, I would say, much better than IMAX.
2: Okay. Just for sound, sound. It, yeah. if
1: it's if it's mastered in Atmos,
2: you can't get better than a Dolby theater. That's fair. But yeah, I was thinking of that because once again with Dolby at or the Dolby Atmos theater. When you're in those seats, if literally anything louder than uh, just normal conversation happens, your seat seat is going to shake. It's great. It's pretty great. It. <laughs> it's
3: like, whoa, look out. And then everyone falls out of the seat because it just <laughs> knocks them off.
2: Uh,
1: close. It's it's really great whenever a movie is actually mastered in Atmos. And you can always tell the people who don't go to a theater that often because like went and saw Godzilla and it does the Atmos thing to where like uh, it says like Dolby and it's like and then it goes... And like all the pieces fall into place for the title for Atmos, and it's very loud and it flows through the entire theater. And then it's very big, like boom, and then it goes silent. And you can always tell the people don't go to the movie often because you hear, "Oh my
2: god!"
3: <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> it's like the THX when that comes up. Is like it's like, it's like that. It's
2: like that, but on steroids. Yeah, it's great. Because um, I remember the first time Dry took me to that the, the Dolby Atmos theater, and I watch it. And my I think my first reaction with that uh, initial Atmos that they do is. Whoa.
1: Yeah, it's really great. It's it's a really cool first experience. Yeah, this movie really is great. Uh, the way that I describe this movie is that it is all climax. From the very start of it to the very end, it feels like what a normal war movie would have be the last 15, 20 minutes. That's this entire movie, and it
2: never really lets up the pressure and lets you f- get comfortable. It does, but it's only to build up to the next, like you said, climaxed style of uh, scene. I guess it's not too spoilery to say this i was gonna say it has it does a very good job of like making like you said having that sense of dread and having that sense of importance but also having that wartime hurry up and wait kind of feeling yes yeah Uh, especially for the story on the beach that takes place over the week um between that or like uh a few times with the boats too but like i feel mm like 90 percent of the boat scenes in this are something bad is going to happen soon when they start getting on the boats (laughs) yes but yeah I, uh, I really do love this movie. I'm not
1: going to say it's Nolan's best work, but it's up there for me. It's not quite Dark Knight or Inception or Interstellar, but it's right below, I think, Inception for me. Okay. Um, Interstellar, I think, might be my favorite Nolan movie, actually.
3: It's just a very Same. solid movie. It is. It very is very good. solid.
1: <laughs> I very much so think that this movie is worth buying. I've bought it twice now. I bought the Blu-ray of it. And then once I got my 4K player, I bought the 4K of it.
3: First in line for it. (laughs) No. no. They're like, we have four of these in existence. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, hello, yes. I feel like
2: the people who are normally uh, first in line for things like that are the rare people who have uh, time and money. So yes. they, can actually, they can actually spend time waiting in line to get stuff like Why this. Why do you
3: think he took the couple of days off? He was trying to <laughs> see He he's, trying, trying to get feel- that
2: Goonies 4K. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Goonies sounds terrible in 4K. Why? Oh, wait, no. The octopus scene is that uh, Delita. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, great movie. Definitely worth a buy in my opinion. It's just really, really, really solid and fills you with that sense of dread really well. Uh, so I guess that that means we uh, move on to spoiler talk and a lot of behind the scenes. I got a lot of that, so nice. You're interested just...
3: behind with them.
1: <laughs> um, since it's historical, I would say hey, there's not a whole lot to spoil. You could go and figure out what this is about, or if you paid much attention in history class, you probably already know.
3: You learned this in history. I'd be very surprised, and you're probably not from America. I would argue <laughs> that's yeah. that's true. Yeah, I was gonna say like I didn't I didn't learn about this whenever. Well, I didn't learn about a lot of World War II <laughs>
2: battles in american history but yeah then again i don't feel like this would be in american history My- <laughs> either. and then with world history it's usually stuff that's further back yeah
3: mine literally went okay here's how america wasn't in the war and then here's <laughs> how we were like it literally was like yeah people were so pissed off about the last war that we didn't want to be in the war anymore and blah 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 like not oh hey here's what happened while america was busy twiddling our thumbs that's a little insensitive but yeah, it's kind was, of true but that's enough of this history lesson. <laughs> this isn't a history podcast if you haven't ma- been made aware yet. It's a
1: history podcast. We are not doing a good, good job, job at all. <laughs>
3: we're not doing <laughs> any history. <laughs> but yeah, uh, last chance to not hear spoilers about a literal real I feel event. Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like
2: we've done minor spoilers, but we're kind of doing the whole, like, it's history. It happened. Read it. If you can read about
3: it in a book. Spoilers, there's a World War II. What? <laughs> Yeah, Two? the production
1: for World War Three has been going on for a long time. <laughs> Some insane pre-production. Anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll be right back with spoiler talk and behind the scenes.
0: All
3: right, so Jarrah, you want to give us the lowdown on Dunkirk? Yes. So yeah, the
1: basic premise of the movie is that it isn't about the battle in Dunkirk at all. It is literally just about the evacuation process that happened due to the British losing control, basically. Right. And the way that that story is told is through three different timelines that are happening at the same time, more or less, through our eyes. You get one week of time for the people on the beach, and you get to see what that seven days is like for them. And then through a civilian boat that goes to help rescue them, you get to see one day of what it was like for them. And then you get from the pilot's point of view, which is one hour. And the movie cuts back and forth between all of those while you try and see all of these people get saved and escape and uh, the rescue
2: missions that take place, basically. Which, the way that I first heard about this movie, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot more of, because what happens in the movie with the boats and what also uh, they talked about while doing the promotion for this movie, mm-hmm. were the civilians who came in to save the soldiers during the evacuation of Dunkirk because they had a hard time getting off that beach. As you said, it took about a week to get all, of, what was it, almost 200,000 people. More. Well, through. I know that they were talking about three hundred thousand people, but I think the actual evacuation itself—they so said like one hundred ninety-eight thousand people.
1: No, so the actual evacuated number was three hundred thirty-eight,
2: two hundred and twenty-six thousand. Okay. Yeah, the way that I sorry. The way that I, uh, I read it, because I just pulled up a little thing on it really quick for uh, it was uh, 198,000 British and 140,000 French. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was 100 uh, out of the 300,000 that 198,000 actually made it off.
3: That's what I thought at oh, least. No. <laughs> well, Mr. General guy did say he was going to wait for the French. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. But that that that's the total number of all uh, allies and British forces that were evacuated it was the 338,000. Um. In that as well, uh, British Expeditionary Force alone lost 68,000 soldiers uh, during that French campaign. So it was, it's a lot of people. (laughs) It's a lot of people. Militarily speaking, everything that happened at Dunkirk was a failure. Churchill spun the shit out of that. (laughs) He turned a complete and utter failure. And what very well could have led to uh, the Germans invading Britain and really... uh, Taking everything honestly. The fact that he was able to spin that and turn a complete loss into a moral victory is insane. Kind of stirred the people to support the military even more and to like it really did raise morale a lot.
2: But it is kind of a it is a moral victory to say that we got most of them out of a Well, it was basically a death sentence for them if they stayed.
1: Well, not we. Uh, not we, yes. but them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, us specifically.
3: Us three did that. Us three did
1: that. You're welcome, world. <laughs> <laughs>
3: without us, Nazis would have taken. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm not even gonna finish putting that, one. that
1: on the banner on Facebook. No. <laughs> but uh... another thing that I think is insane because you get the seven day thing, right? And you think like, okay, a week. That's a long time to be on a beach without real food or water, and I don't. I feel like the movie does a really good job of showing you the dread of these soldiers, but not showing the actual pain and suffering of a lot of it. Because yeah. can you imagine just being stuck on a beach, waiting for evacuation, having to sleep on that beach, function on this beach for an entire week while trying to muster up food and water wherever you can? Like It's right. so insane. That's yeah.
3: actually what I wanted to talk about when I was saying one of the parts I felt didn't do the time well. Um, I really don't feel like it was a week. Yeah, yeah. It really feels the fact like that they put three a days A week, at a most. day,
2: and a and an hour all together at one. It feels like it all is happening simultaneously. Well, then,
3: not even that. Like, because I buy the planes was an hour. That felt like an hour. Mm-hmm. I buy the boat was a day. It felt a little longer, but it felt like a day. Yeah, I did not buy that they were there for a week. Yeah, there's like really one night scene during the beach, and it just really doesn't feel like segments like. I think they're trying to make it so every time you come back is a new day, but it doesn't feel like that to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that point. I think that's definitely the weakest part, which is a shame because it's structurally the part that really binds everything together. Right. Uh, but it is the weakest, and I think it's just because in that very small crunch time, it's, it's a very short movie, especially for Nolan. It's 146 or something like that in total, it feels like it could have been longer. Not that I think it needed to be, but it feels like it I could would. have been to show how long it actually felt to be on that
2: beach. Yeah. Well, and like I said, that's part of the hurry up and wait feeling that it has is a lot of those beach scenes where yeah. they're just kind of sitting around trying to find a boat to get on and then that didn't work. So, okay, back to the beach. Yeah, yeah. And then-
1: It's a lot of trial and error and yeah. falling off boats and getting back on new boats for them. <laughs> yeah, it is.
2: And uh, like it's the way that they do it, like it feels like it's all, for me at least, it felt like it was all happening simultaneously. So, that kind of- Made it a little bit hard to show, like for just like that little bit of, like I said, if you don't know anything about what's happening with this or with the movie, and you go in completely, um, completely blind, then it's hard to piece that together until like you know little facts like that about how on the beach it was one week, and for the boat it was one day, and for the planes it was one hour.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a second viewing help helps with that a lot. because you go in with that mindset already.
2: Yeah, and I feel like doing a little Nolan's films arguably, but yeah, a little bit of research. And a second viewing does wonders for this movie, or would do wonders for this movie.
1: Yeah, uh, Nolan definitely builds his movies out to be like, the second time you watch it, it makes a lot more sense, trust yeah. me. Little I, does
3: he know people like me only watch movies once.
1: Yeah, and then they're like, Inception's the most confusing thing ever, and they're wrong, but whatever.
3: <laughs> I liked
2: Inception. It's really good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, there's that, like a lot of people who have watched that movie over and over and over again, and over analyzed every single frame, and then went online and talked about it, so yeah. I think he's
3: probably expecting that for... Most, if not all of his movies. See, and that's weird. Unlike me, who has seen NNA's Big Picture Show 15 (laughs) times since its release in 2009. A smart movie to rewatch
0: all the
1: time. (laughs) Takes lots of rewatches to really understand what's happening there. Um, But yeah, so that seven days is, um, the evacuation order came in on May 25th, 1940. And the evacuation happened until June 4th. And that's insane. That's yeah. just insane to think about.
2: Another movie that probably had a hard time de- dealing with that too is uh, I don't know if you remember that movie, that old movie, Behind Enemy Lines. I do. Yeah, because with that one, it makes it feel like it's maybe a couple of days that uh, where all this happens, but apparently, like
3: the real life version of that was over six months.
1: Yeah, which is like does it feels like a day?
3: Yeah, in that movie, yeah. <laughs> The passage but, of time is one of the hardest things to get right in a short amount of time. Yeah, such it as is. A movie. It,
2: despite doing a lot of time lapse footage, it's hard to get a sense of like how long, like, you know, this happened within the span of a week or a month or a year for a lot whenever you're trying to condense it down to like an hour.
1: Yeah. And I think Nolan uh, kind of perfected is timey wiminess with Interstellar in a lot yeah. of ways just because I think it does relativity uh, really well it in does. a way that is way underappreciated for that movie.
3: Well, I'd argue I'd argue it works a lot better when it actually goes into the movie, like yes, Interstellar, yes. Inception, all of those really play with the idea of the nonlinear story. Whereas this while it's definitely not like a deterrence for the I don't know if that's the word I'm looking yeah, for. It. Yeah, for right. this movie, I don't think it adds too much to be told nonlinearly.
1: You're right. You're right. Uh I think here it feels uh, Slightly gimmicky,
3: I think it works I, well for the plane and boat scenes, yeah, they, yeah,
1: they feel like they have a interconnected tension uh with the beach. I don't feel like you feel that until the very end,
3: no, even at the end, it's kind of hard to tell for me at least, like that's fair. I'm like, okay, this is the boat that blows up,
1: yeah, yeah, and
3: I saw it blow up three minutes ago, <laughs> so they're connected now, yeah, also, I don't know how I'm gonna so maybe I'm just dumb. How did the one guy get onto that, what was it? It was like a U boat, and the one, that, the first one onto the boat, onto the grandpa's boat. Like,
2: so it did kind of show that, and that's whenever me and Dry got into that whole conversation about how times weird in the movie because what it was is, uh, so
1: are you talking about the PTSD guy? Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. Because you know how that one boat got shot down, and then they're yeah, yeah. swimming towards the, uh, the. Lifesaver boats, I guess, or whatever you would call the... Yeah, reserve- so I
1: th- Yeah, I think I understand what he's asking, like, because when you first meet him, he's, like, on a vessel that's sunk yeah. in the middle of the ocean. Um, but then, in, like, the next scene, you see him, and he's, like, on a dinghy, and they go back to the beach. Uh, I think the thing you're supposed to assume happens is they went back to the beach, and he got onto another boat, and that boat sank.
2: The way that I took it, actually, is uh, the people who were swimming towards him, and they said, like, there's not enough room, you're gonna have to swim back to the beach." Is The dinghies went to another boat, and that that boat got shot down, but it was so far out into the ocean that... He was one of the lone survivors of that one. Well,
3: he, they went back to the beach. Right, yeah, that whole thing went to the beach. The dinkies did too?
1: Yeah, because okay. that's what he said. Uh, shore is too far. We have to go back to the beach and look for another boat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, so they went back to the beach, and I think you're supposed to just assume that he got onto another boat, and that boat also sunk. Was, he wasn't with them? for the No.
3: Really? Yeah. All right, so here's E's issue that he has <laughs> with the million movies. I couldn't tell any of the soldiers. A bunch of white dudes that are wet all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all with black hair. I Yes. Could, there was one that didn't speak, and sometimes I thought I knew who he was. So are there four of them then? Um, So. Because there's the mate. I'm going to call him main guy. Yeah. The one you meet first. The British guy that starts the movie off. Yeah. He meets with the one that doesn't talk. Mm-hmm, on the beach when he's trying to take a poop. Yeah. <laughs> after. <laughs> after. The first boat sinks, he meets a third guy.
2: Yes, played by Harry Styles.
3: Is he really? It really is. Yeah, that is. Uh, It's
2: one of those things I was going to say. It's very strange. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I feel like it was a weird choice to have him in the movie, but honestly, he did a good job. Yeah, I think he played the role well.
3: Okay, so then Harry, and then Harry gets to escape and becomes the guy who goes on the grandpa's boat then? No, that different guy. Okay. Different guy entirely. Where did that guy come from then?
1: He was just a captain on a boat. Uh, the guy who went onto the grandpa's boat eventually. Yeah, he was just a guy that was a captain on a boat, and he led that dinghy, and then, yeah. He, he's so barely, he
2: was he, he, was done, never he part didn't of know
3: group. those guys then?
1: No, no. Okay.
3: The that's, only time it really shows what...
2: him is, he, uh, he's the one who says there's not enough room on this dinghy, you're going to have to swim to the shore.
3: Yeah. Like, that's that, the only time you uh, see okay. him beforehand. That's what confused me, because I thought it was he was one of the main guys.
1: No, 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 no. no, no,
3: no. Oh, Okay they all look the same
1: yes they are they're pale white dudes with black hair right so i don't blame you
3: (laughs) i honestly i have the hardest time with white people telling them apart unless they have different hair colors (laughs) out of all the races i think white is the one i have the most difficulty
1: i mean face blindness hurts you anyway (laughs)
3: apparently i have face blindness but Like, you do have I,
2: face blindness, and to be fair, there is, like, that standard white guy look that a lot of guys yeah, go like, towards. Like, especially
1: back then in the military.
2: Yeah. Right, and okay. I was going to say, like, it's one of those things I found out when I was in Salt Lake City is I think I have average white dude face, because <laughs> there was no, like, seriously, there's a lot of times I got, didn't I go to high school with you?
3: No. I never lived here. <laughs> I, I moved here five years ago. <laughs> okay. So let me see if I can piece this together. Okay. The main guy. Yes. He lives. Yes. The guy who doesn't talk, he dies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The guy who outed the guy who doesn't talk lives? Yes. Was he the one being dragged being when dragged. like, when they're getting away from the oil? No,
1: main guy was the one being dragged. Main guy was? Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. And then other guy is unrelated to them, but I'm supposed to know he was with them at a point.
1: He was just on that dinghy at that one
3: point. Okay. But I was supposed to connect those guys. Uh, yeah, I guess. Okay. It's ultimately not super important. Right. Yeah. I, I just like I just assumed he was a new character until you guys started like <laughs> talking about him.
2: He, as, I was going to say he's honestly the guy that I, or one of the guys I should say that Christopher Nolan puts in most if not all of his movies. Many of his films yeah. he's in them. Uh, since the uh, Batman Begins, he's yeah, been in a lot. Cuz he was of them. in Batman Begins, I think he has like a very very small role in The Dark Knight mm-hmm. and then he's in Dark Knight Rises and yeah. then he's also in Inception yes. and then he's also in
3: this movie. Yes, And I don't think he's in. I always forget when Inception comes out because I always think it's way earlier
1: than it did. No, it was a uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I think.
3: Right. I always think it's like in the nineties for some reason. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> I don't um, think that they movie can pull been that so off goddamn in 90s. expensive in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. I think I pieced the beach people out. Man. Okay. Okay. I think I got those because the rest don't really like have as much screen time. Right. There's not another character I should know about. No, it's really just those three. Okay. On the beach, yeah.
1: Um, there's a couple other people that they meet inside that boat, but they don't matter. They die.
3: Okay, so while I'm on this tangent, I want to say I love the dynamic between the main guy and the guy who doesn't talk. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. I love this non-spoken camaraderie they get together.
1: Yeah, because it really is just like, well, we're both fucked on this beach. Like, yeah. can I have a drink of water? But yeah, like you we were saying in the non-spoiler stuff, it really does a great job of unspoken communication
3: between these right. characters. Because like, like I call him the guy who doesn't talk. He gets like one or two lines in the entire He literally movie.
2: gets two lines. And
1: it's saying... French, and he
2: is French.
3: That's yeah. literally what his lines
2: are. <laughs> yeah, his, his French- <laughs> yeah, his lines is I'm not German, I'm French. Yeah. But in France, French. Yeah,
3: right. I don't, like. There's so much cool stuff. Like when they both see this guy who is still breathing in the carnage, mm-hmm. and they just look at each other and like, this is our chance. Yeah. Like there's so much really good non-spoken dialogue. Yes. In this movie.
1: Yes, there is. That's one of the parts that Nolan doesn't get enough credit for. Like I think people like watch this movie and they're like, cool war movie, and then like moved on. But there's honestly a lot of rewatchability in this and like really subtle, amazing performances. The thing about uh, Harry Styles being in it is very weird to me for a lot of reasons. Firstly, it's Harry Styles. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, it's that he does a really good job. Yeah. Uh, Thirdly, is that a lot of the casting decisions for The Beach, uh, Nolan said, was after he interviewed some of the veterans that lived, because there were a few that were still alive when this movie came out. I'm not sure if they still are. They're very old. It's, um,
3: it's honestly baffling how recent that is it's insane
1: yeah. isn't it
2: well it's one of those things like I, I remember here i'm probably gonna get the date wrong but i'm doing this off the top of my head if i remember correctly the last surviving person who fought in the civil war died in like 1965 insane yeah fucking insane
3: well, like that's one of the things i hate about american history how we teach it is like we Make it seem like that's so far away. Like ancient history and it's not. On purpose, obviously, because the Civil War is a great example because, well, not the Civil, just like the Civil Rights Movement in general, we have color photos of that. Yeah. And we purposely use black and white photos to make it seem like it's farther than it really is. Yeah. I think part of it is a time disassociation of it
2: too. Like uh,
3: it's harder for
2: people to bring that time frame into mind whenever it was before your time. And, like, it's one of those things that make people feel really old, like, uh, that I said on Facebook, because somebody had a post, and it's one of my favorite things to say when somebody says, like, what's something that makes you feel really old, is, uh, and I actually said it to a radio station once, and I made everyone on that radio station feel old on that, well, not on accident, kind of on purpose, (laughs) uh, is they said, like, what's something that makes you feel really old? And this was back in, I think, 2017 or 2018, uh, and I had said to them that, um, People who are graduating high school now are graduating, learning, uh, yeah, learning about nine eleven as an event that happened before they were born.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy,
2: and so it's just one of those like people who were born after that. Like you can talk about it, but for them, it's a historical event because they don't have it happened before they were born. Yeah, and so it's makes it. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, it doesn't matter if it was twenty years ago or a million years ago. It was before your time, so it's hard to put a time sense to
3: that. Like it's one of those things. What it was last year would be the first time. Someone could vote without actually have been alive during nine yeah. eleven.
1: Yeah, I want to know what their their thoughts are on the world. Honestly,
3: I
2: mean, I'm pretty close.
1: To oh, you're right, close. <laughs> you're oh, you're weird. I, no. was, uh, I was. two. <laughs>
0: well, years no, old. it's like yeah. it's like what I said
2: on one of our live casts not too long ago. Is I was listening to someone do a kind of a video essay on that. Uh that six, or the six album thing that had to deal with dementia. Mm-hmm. And the guy was talking about, uh, the, he's like, yeah, this guy started in 1999. This guy's been making music longer than I've been alive. And like, I had this moment where it was like, fuck, I'm old.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just one last thing before we get yeah. back to the point. Um, Macaulay Culkin recently tweeted out, hey, want to feel old? I turned 40 today. Yeah. <laughs>
2: remember, yeah, that yeah. Was yeah. I told my mom that and she laughed. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: anyway, back to the movie.
3: Yeah. Okay.
2: Yes.
1: Um, so, yeah, so Christopher Nolan's uh, casting choices. Yeah. After he interviewed some of the veterans that were alive that were there, he decided it would be best to go with nameless actors. So the two, Harry Styles, and Harry Styles. <laughs> and Harry Styles. <laughs> 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 which I mean, the first time I watched it, I didn't realize it was Harry Styles. Yeah. So you could have. T- I-, I had a I stole, of- I'm trying to figure out which one was Harry Styles, the long hair guy who betrays the the one who like <laughs> says, "Hey, he's German."
3: Oh, okay. Out. That's Harry Harry
1: Styles? Right, exactly. That's the
3: last guy I would have guessed is Harry Styles.
1: I would have guessed a couple of
2: times. (laughs) There was a couple of times during that movie like it was uh, like I would watch it and I look at that person just in the background like is that Harry Styles? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Nolan decided to cast unknowns for the role because he wanted them to feel like blank like blank people like blank slates like you can't assign anything to them you have no idea who they are or what they are because that's what those soldiers felt like they just felt like blank fodder for the enemy.
3: I think that is probably the best decision you can make for a war movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless Un- you're purposely making propaganda, I guess. But. <laughs> yes,
1: which is definitely not Nolan's thing. Yeah. He definitely looks at this as a turning point uh, from some of the interviews I was reading. He thinks that if this rescue mission didn't happen, like if they failed to rescue these people, then Europe would have been taken over. Because there, there would have been the military victory that they lost, or the military fight that they lost, and the moral Right. Um. And so it would have just beat down the yeah. British to a point to where they couldn't have felt like they fought, and it would have just demoralized would, the yeah, country. Yeah, it would be
2: really hard morale-wise to be like, oh yeah, Germans uh cornered three hundred forty thousand people on a beach and executed all of them. That would right. be huge hit to morale. Yeah, like what would
1: nobody would want to fight because they're like, well, I guess we're fucking useless.
2: Yeah. Which another thing that they did that was really what well, did really well with the movie too is I think even the soldiers who were on the Dunkirk beach felt like like they didn't have morale afterwards that it showed at the end of the movie and how like they kind of went onto that train and into the train station feeling scared that they were going to get you know tomatoes th- tomatoes and rocks thrown at them
3: like for- vietnam for a more recent
2: comparison right. yeah
1: uh yeah they felt like they had like they had failed failed they brought shame to an entire country because and they thought everybody was going to like when they got back home everyone's going to be like you failed like how dare you right. go yeah. and which was Believe, a basically.
2: which was a really good mix for like that guy who was giving blankets to them and just like and he was telling him good job and he's like what do you mean good job we just survived It's like that's good enough that's enough and, but there was that like one person saw that and that was kind of a morale boost for him and another person saw like oh this man's not looking at us even though I feel like that character like it, it's very subtle he's blind I don't know if he, I'd say it's subtle because he kind of well no like at first it's subtle because oh, like yeah, someone like yeah. that guy doesn't see that he's blind he just sees that he doesn't want to look at them. And then another person who realizes, oh, he's blind, kind of thing. Right. Yeah,
3: the one who just goes this. The one, like, well, the
2: one who, yeah, the <laughs> one who uh, gets his face touched by him.
1: Yeah, it's very much like a perception type of thing. Like it's so yeah. easy to misperceive something that's just right there because you already have this set in stone mind thing. Like he already wants to think that he's going to be shamed for coming home, losing this right. battle, and so everything he sees, he just sees shame in all of it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it's re- it's done really well, honestly, and it's very yeah, like
3: it's it's more subtle than I would. Than you would expect from a movie There's like a this. lot of subtlety in this movie.
1: Um, another thing that's... There's a lot of great things about the production of this film that I
2: really love, actually. It was filmed on Dunkirk Beach.
1: Um, Did
3: they explode Dunkirk that,
2: Beach? I mean, that makes sense for Christopher Nolan, though. Like, I feel like, in a weird way, Christopher Nolan is the new James Cameron, in the sense that he, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's the
1: new James Cameron.
2: <laughs> uh, they're both still very much around. They're still very much around, but, like, things that uh, James Cameron was known for doing in, like, the 80s and 90s... Uh, Christopher Nolan is known for doing in the two thousands. Basically, I would say they're
1: very different filmmakers. Cameron is all digital now, basically, like with
2: Avatars. Like he
1: basically doesn't need people. Um, And Christopher Nolan is very much he wants everything in frame to be real. Right. Most of the things you see in this are just real.
2: Yeah, and it's not so much like the difference between digital and real. It's the sense that both of them are known for having these huge budgets for movies, and then actually making profit on these. Huge budget like record breaking, I spent so much goddamn money movies.
1: Yeah, like Nolan is kind of a mystery in Hollywood because he gets huge budgets for standalone things that are never gonna have sequels ever. Yeah. Like he got huge budget for Inception for Interstellar, for Tenet. That has a gigantic budget that I feel like he'll never make back, and it's going to really hurt his career Yeah, uh, because the world is
3: ending. <laughs> um, yeah. no, you, I know you, you're going to buy every 4K, and he's going to make it back exclusively from you.
1: I They'll make the money back. <laughs> I don't think they're going to make money off no. of Tenet, though. I, that, what they keep saying in interviews is they're playing the long game on this one, and they're, they're excited, quote-unquote, to see if it works out for them. They plan to have Tenet in theaters for the next six months.
3: I think it's going to be the only movie in theaters other than
2: SpongeBob, so. Well, and it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one, of those, it's one of those weird fights that's happening right now because while Tenet is in theaters, uh, Mulan, which is another huge budget movie, is mm-hmm. on Disney Plus. Yeah, for and, $30 extra. Yeah, and it's one of those things they're saying, like, from what I've seen, the reviews for Tenet right now is everyone loves it that they've seen so far, <laughs> and there's- Kind of a mixed bag when it comes to Mulan, from what I've heard, at least.
3: I haven't seen much good said about Mulan.
2: Once again, that's just what I've heard. I haven't seen either of the movies. I've not seen Tenet, because I don't want to die. Well, I
3: don't know. Is it in America now? I thought it was exclusive to Canada still.
2: Tenet? Oh, no, it's
1: in theaters. I could walk down the block and watch it right now. I know. That's why I haven't.
3: (sighs) (laughs) That kind of... Because, like, the people who are... This is going to sound rude. It kind of... Whatever. The people who are going to the movie theaters right now, I don't think are Tenet's target audience. Nope. <laughs>
1: you are 100% correct, all sir. Right. Yeah. We
3: could do non-sequiturs right. all day, son. <laughs> so, back with the, I guess we're going about the ending some more. Um, It is, it's really beautiful the way he has a positive ending that doesn't feel propagandic, I think. Yeah. Because it has the hope for, is that Harry Styles right? Yes. Yes. Harry Harry Styles Styles and 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 main guy. (laughs) Like there's the hope for them, and like the Harry Styles was all scared when someone was like banging against the window. Rightfully so, I would argue. Yes. That's that's kind of scary. But he was just giving them some beers. Yeah. And
2: apples and yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, once
2: again, they weren't sure if they were going to be going into people booing them and like throwing rocks at the train, or whether and like so the fact that someone came up and like. Handed him a beer of saying like, "Congratulations for surviving this horrific ordeal." Right, and he like makes, he wasn't sure that that was going to happen.
3: He even like was so scared, he made a uh, main guy read the newspaper. To yeah, him. because
2: he it was he couldn't bring himself to read what kind of what they were going to write about that situation. Right.
3: Yeah, I just, that's really well done, and I am surprised how much I actually like that ending because I almost like. I know, and I'm gonna out myself. I'm not like very into war, <laughs> as, as you might say. <laughs> I know, as you might peace. But like, so when I get really wary when more war movies do stuff like this, because a lot of times it does feel propagandic. But this one isn't. It's like it's very melancholy, almost. I would feel because well because like they
2: had this moral victory, but there's still five years left to this war.
3: Not even that, because like you even so with the airplane, the one hour segment. That ends with, the so one of them crashes fairly early on and it yeah. gets saved by the grandpa boat. Well, even
2: before him, there was one who, uh, they have no idea what happened to him. He just yeah. crashed and they're like, okay, well, we're, did you see where his plane went? It's like, I have no idea. Well, chances are he's dead in the water. Then we have to keep moving. Right. And then the one who gets saved by the grandpa.
3: Right. So, I, but, so that connects with the ending with the last remaining one having to make an emergency landing in Dunkirk. And his ending is that he set his plane on fire and was captured. The movie doesn't let you know what actually happens to him.
1: Yeah, I think what's really what's done really great there is you get to see, honestly, this man that you've been following, which I, I considered him the hero, basically, of the movie. Yeah. Um, he
2: very much was. <laughs> the one who...
3: D- I mean, uh, unless he, you want to count the grandpa, I think the grandpa's also kind of the hero. Yeah, one. he is. Um, but, but,
1: like, the way that they handle his story, it feels like the most just straight-up brave. Like... He goes in there, and he knows that he's not coming back. And he does everything he can to fight for these people to get as many people safe as he possibly can. To the point where he is literally gliding uh, off of nothing and trying to shoot other planes down, succeeding, which actually happened quite a bit during that.
2: It's war, yeah. yeah. Um, and basically a man who like ran into a suicide mission headfirst and knowing that,
1: yeah, everything knowing... that he was doing, he was going to die.
2: Yeah, but it just one. It's that sense of uh. I'm going to die doing this, but I may save hundreds of thousands in the process.
1: Yeah. I think that that's another thing that this movie does really great is it doesn't show the anger and the fear of the enemy. It shows the hope and the bravery of the ally forces. So much so to where you really don't see the German force at all. No, 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 you you see an outline of them when he's captured at the end, but that's it. Like, that's all you see is an outline.
3: None of these planes have people in them. Yeah. And... I think two things. One, if this was any other director, they probably would have made that guy the only focus of this movie. Yes. And this is one of the few movies where I think having the enemy be a faceless entity worked well. It it worked really well. In most cases, I think that would just be done to dehumanize the enemy. But this case, it's because that's not the story.
2: Yeah, that's not the point. Well also in a sense, I feel like with this movie making the enemy faceless in a weird way kind of gives the same kind of the same energy as like um in a horror movie, whenever there's like a creature in the shadows, but you don't see the creature, you just know that it's approaching, kind of thing. And so it's just like it's not so much that you see soldiers that are coming towards them as much as just like this unstoppable force that is coming to
3: destroy them if they can't get off the speech. If that makes sense. It's all it's stuff like this that makes this movie really great and even as someone who's not a war movie person, I can really appreciate a lot of these details that they do. Yeah. And it just really goes to show how well Nolan can do a lot of these things. He is a
1: amazing filmmaker. Yeah, I think the thing that he captures is probably what a lot of the people felt at the time um, from Churchill's speech, which I was trying to pull up, but it's very, very long. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very long. It was speech. like 10
3: minutes in this movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, uh, anybody who's listening, I really, really recommend you go and read it or listen to it. Uh, it's honestly extremely inspiring you've probably heard small snippets of it in a bunch of different things but yeah it's it takes how people must have been feeling after that speech and i think really kind of gives you that feeling of like okay we can make it through this it gives you a sense of hope and a sense of urgency to fight back which is insane (laughs) like it's insane how he just captures that feeling so well right Uh, and every time i've seen this movie i just i get that same feeling
3: yeah you're like god bless the uk (laughs) yes god save the queen god save the queen that's, that's actually there we go yeah. <laughs> I was like well it's not us so it's not god bless the usa you're close you were close yeah.
1: um but yeah uh talking about nolan being a great filmmaker uh and how he strives for realism and fucking everything he does to the detriment of himself Ethan. one thing that you guys pointed out which i think is very hard to miss is that it changes perspective on the film uh, itself it goes I, yeah. from full screen uh to letterbox
2: yeah to well it's i guess one thing to keep in mind too is like what the 16 by 9 used to be letterbox but now 21 by 9 is letterbox so it goes from like widescreen to ultra widescreen
1: right and it does it
2: in a weird jarring way to where not only does it change the perspective of what you're watching it changes the color grading of it and everything almost like a
1: The, the reason for that is because those are shot with different cameras um, what yeah nolan has this affair with imax um which i think tenet might be his only movie to be shot fully in imax if i'm not mistaken uh, i haven't double checked that but i'm pretty sure it's his only film to be shot fully in imax mm-hmm. that's because imax technology has come a long way in a very short amount of time
3: um probably because of
2: nolan
1: him and a few other probably actually yeah, yeah. Um, i mean
2: to be fair like when it comes to these technologies like bil- like literally billions of dollars are spent into research and like doing what they can to make it that much better
1: yeah when a studio has to buy an imax camera um, that could sink a studio, even like a big studio like WB. They yeah. are extremely expensive, um, so much so to where studios rent them. Uh, they're extremely expensive pieces of equipment. Well, not
3: only that, the film inside of some of these cameras. It's extremely,
1: because for... it's 70mm film. Mm-hmm. Uh, or 75?
3: 70. 70. Yeah, 70. So you're um, saying when we do a visual live show, we're not going to be renting <laughs> one of those.
1: I'm telling you how expensive this equipment is, right, so right. I can
2: really set up this next story. Oh, God. Yeah. To uh, I guess another way to put or put into perspective, I showed, dry, I think I showed, dry this video of uh, this YouTube channel that bought a Red camera, which shoots footage in 8K, but it does it all digitally. Mm-hmm. And uh, for them to buy like just the camera by itself was, I think it was eighty thousand dollars, and then all the accessories. And like when you buy a Red camera, it's just the camera. It's not the lens. It's not the screens. It's not any of the. Buttons or the batteries or the hard drives or anything else—it's just like the basic box. It's just and, a fucking box. Yeah, just a box, <laughs> and like it's just a box with a sensor in the, in it, and then you have to buy everything else separately with it. And so they ended up spending like a hundred and forty thousand dollars on a camera. One, yeah, camera, and um, uh, and that's a very accessible camera. Yeah, right, it is very accessible, yeah, like and it's it, mostly it digital only. As mm-hmm, yeah, for, as a digital only, IMAX on the other hand, because it is cutting edge filmmaking type of camera. Is even more expensive. <laughs> yeah. It uses 70 millimeter film, yeah. which is extremely expensive and extremely
1: fragile. Um, so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. In the scenes, almost every scene you see in the sky in the plane from a cockpit view, they're in the sky. Um, Nolan was real particular about this, as you might imagine. He put IMAX cameras pointing at the actors and then a front-facing IMAX camera and a back-facing IMAX camera. Oh, fuck um, so he could have whatever options he wanted right, for shooting. Right. All shot with film. All actually being flown. Not by the actors. <laughs> so not. here's how they they changed uh, planes around to look like actual Spitfires. Um, they changed the, mo- the models that you see in it are exactly how a Spitfire looked. It is modeled one-to-one for how a Spitfire actually looked on the inside. The actors themselves obviously couldn't fly and act at the same time. Yeah. So he had them in the front cockpit because Spitfires only had the one cockpit, and then he had to hide a second cockpit <laughs> in the back of the plane where the actual pilot was flying <laughs> and put cameras on the side so he could see. So this thing's rigged out with cameras, yeah, right. actually being flown in the sky. It's decked out like this. Um, every plane you see in the sky is an actual plane that they actually shot, and uh, not shot, like shot down, but like filmed.
2: <laughs> um, yes, yes. I saw the shock yeah. in your eyes for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Don't worry. I mean, it, once again, it's Nolan. If he actually shot down a plane, I wouldn't be too surprised. Well,
1: um
0: (laughs)
2: speaking of which so there is a plane crash in this film Mm -hmm. um you
1: see the plane crash into the water that's not digital he actually crashed the plane in the water with the cameras on the plane um for the shot um so when you get that view on the side when you see that plane actually crash down hit the water and everything fall apart that's actually that plane doing that they expected that and they expected the plane to sink over a little bit of time However, with all the added weight of the cameras, it sunk much faster than they expected. Oh, no. It It sunk very, very quickly to the point to where the cameras were just fucked. They are dead. The cameras were completely (laughs) dead. You couldn't fix them at all. And the film in them was very nearly unsavable. But there is apparently an old technique that Christopher Nolan learned that if your film gets wet, if you keep it wet until you develop it, then you can still develop it. (laughs) in salt water apparently so he had to get the film wet keep it in a wet canister and ship it back to la so they could develop the film before it dried out so that shot you see where the plane is crashing down that's the same footage that he was able to save and salvage and sent to la
2: (laughs) the cameras though completely fucked actually if you I did get a quote on how much an IMAX camera costs, both to rent and buy, mm-hmm. if you were curious about that. If you wanted to actually rent out an IMAX camera, it would be $16,000 a week. And if you wanted to purchase one to actually own it, it would be just north of half a million dollars to own an IMAX camera.
3: So just shoot everything in a week.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So... Like if you can shoot it in a month, it will save you tons of money. Well, that's like a million <laughs> down the drain. Yeah. yeah. So he, that was a million dollars just for that one crash.
1: Is yeah, what he's saying. basically. <laughs> not to mention the plane itself or anything like that.
3: I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm pretty sure the plane's not even close to how much the camera cost.
2: Planes are expensive. Yeah, planes are expensive, yeah. but so are IMAX cameras. Oh, God. But on top of being half a million dollars, the 70 millimeter IMAX, technically the horizontal resolution is 18K, so it could go all the way up to 18K with the 70 millimeter one. However, those are 240-pound cameras. Yes. Yeah. Which is why it, it sunk so goddamn fast because
1: that's 500 extra pounds. Why it sunk so fast and why um, it changes from the IMAX cameras, the very full screen to the letterbox, because when he has to go into a crowded area, he has to switch the camera to something smaller. Yeah. He literally can't fit the camera
2: on those boats. <laughs> but on top of that, uh, one of those with the 70 millimeter apparently holds about a thousand feet worth, or a thousand feet worth of 70 millimeter film. But because of how fast it goes through it with the 24 frames per second, that's only about three minutes per spool. Should have just yeah.
3: uh, two frames
2: every second. <laughs> <laughs> Save money. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, incredibly detailed. looks incredible whenever you put it on that, but super, super fucking expensive. And like I said, it's 500,000 or 500,000 just for the camera. That does not include the film.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that was a boo-boo. No one did a boo-boo. A Uh-oh. little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs>
3: He has so much money. I guess that is just something you can do as mis- he, that's just a mistake you can make.
1: He, he, him, and I think one other person mainly produced this film.
2: It was his money, so <laughs> it's just kind of one of those. I mean, if you can afford it,
3: kind of right things. Like, I'm like, oh man, I dropped a pizza worth five dollars. That is so devastating. I mean, I guess another good <laughs> example of like I
2: said with him with me like, comparing him
3: to James Cameron, like
2: the first Terminator film. Where they built a full functioning uh Terminator as a puppet for that and then destroyed at the end of the film.
3: Yes. You gotta do what you gotta do. So yeah, extra. You get one shot at that.
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah. You do. <laughs> so you best not fuck it up. There's a lot oh God, there's so many times in movies and TV shows to where like they have a a moment of like, yeah, we have one take to get this right, so you better not fuck it up.
1: <laughs> so yeah, another thing that is Really, really
3: awesome is at the They very dropped the camera on the beach. It broke into a million pieces.
1: <laughs> the, uh, all this movie's budget was just cameras. He kept breaking.
3: <laughs> um, so no. This is why
2: there's only like five IMAX cameras left. Is because this movie, <laughs> <And> <laughs> Nolan keeps breaking all of them. <laughs>
1: um, the plane that lands on the beach at the end.
3: They really did just land that plane on the beach. Oh, well, that <laughs> I was going to ask. I felt like that's not how planes land on sand, but sc- fuck me, I guess. They literally landed that plane
1: on Dunkirk Beach. That shot you see is 100% everything they did. There's no tomfoolery. They really didn't have the en- engine going. They really cranked the wheels down. It's all
2: 100% there. What you see is what happens. So what you really see there is really a blind pilot going, fuck, 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 trying to get that landed. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the plane
1: did get stuck on the sand. Uh, so much so to where... They couldn't get it off, and the tide was coming in, and so all the crew had to come in and help get that thing out of the sand, or else they were about to lose another plane.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but they, oh, okay, I was going to say they set on fire. They probably set the a second plane on fire. Yeah, yeah I assume yeah. it was, it was be, a stunt plane for on fire, yeah. I hope
2: it was a stunt plane that they
3: set really on fire. I really have to... It's like, Dunkirk's like a historical landmark, right? How did they get the jurisdiction to blow it up and land planes on it? Christopher Nolan, man. Like, I don't know. That dude just can do whatever
1: he wants, I guess. <laughs> I'm guessing that know. guy has... <laughs>
3: I'm at least assuming he just has
2: charisma up the wahoo. Well, he probably has a lot of money too, and that also too.
1: has quite a bit of money at this point. Um, <laughs> this is insane.
2: Charisma, or you actually just have extra charisma whenever you have our money to <laughs> that throw much around. Money, yeah, yeah. Whenever you're just like, listen, I'll pay you a million dollars. Let me do this.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, whenever he was scouting out the beach, because he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it at the actual beach or not, and he eventually right, decided because it's to. a historical landmark. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> um, he found an actual button that was worn by one of the soldiers there while he was scouting. Huh. And that's kind of what cemented it for. I'm like, okay, I have to do it here.
3: Um, did he give that to a museum?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I really hope The story didn't. didn't go any further than that. Um, I feel like he really did go out of his way to pay homage to the people right. who suffered through all of this and gave their lives and really sacrificed everything. It doesn't... It feels like a war movie with a soul, which is yeah. strange. Very strange.
2: And I guess I was going to say that's one thing that I feel like, in a way... Works for it, but doesn't work for it. Like I, I have mixed feelings about it because it feels like there's certain things that he had to almost censor himself with because it was a he wanted to be PG thirteen because that's kind of like the whole thing with cinemas is like you're gonna get more people to come watch this movie if you don't have it be rated R because.
3: Well, can, I think they've tested, and PG thirteen really is the sweet spot, which is why it is. Mm-hmm. movies like Toy Story are PG thirteen, despite the fact that it's clearly a PG movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, but
2: it's mostly one of those things. Like they found out that uh, I think it's you can only have so many R rated movies, and like usually R rated movies are lower budget movies because less people will come to watch them than if it's PG thirteen or PG. And so I feel like it's one of those things that he knew was going to be an expensive film after you know spending a million dollars just on those two cameras.
1: It was exp- it's not as expensive as you think, actually, because since he does do so much in frame, like on the camera, yeah. he doesn't have to do a lot in post-production. It's really, he pays his editors fairly well.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, Editors in general get paid for fairly well, but I'm pretty sure editors that also know how to do film, because yes. editing film is so much harder than editing uh, yes. digital And you have to be footage. so much
3: more careful. Yeah. It can't be like, snip, snip, whoops. It, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. <laughs> That'd uh, be me if I had If filmed. you
2: whoopsie, that's a lot of money down the drain.
1: Like a, but uh, I know I that
3: just, like... like uh... tape this back, right?
2: Sometimes, actually,
3: yes. <laughs> I
1: mean...
2: But I'm sure if they get paid more, especially whenever you consider something like... Uh, I remember seeing a thing not too long ago. There was another YouTube... That same YouTube channel that spent $140,000 on a red camera. Uh, they were talking about how much the average editor gets paid. And the average editor gets paid something like $29 an hour. And that's just for digital. And I'm pretty sure you can get paid more if you do film and digital.
3: We haven't given the boat segment much talking about. We probably should. We should. Um, it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be cold hearted here. Ooh. The boy dying felt weird. Oh, that's icy narratively. <laughs> <laughs> like. Um. Yeah. It does. I know. So I'm gonna guess that it's because, in the grand scheme of things, this is war. <laughs> that is what war is, and. Ultimately, people will die without even not even getting into the war war part. But yeah, well, I just I don't feel like I had enough time to know who this character was, and it really felt like he was just killed off.
2: Yeah. So there was a lot of reasoning behind that. I did catch on to a lot of the nuances with that one because whenever he was like on the ground dying and they were trying to help him with that, he does say that he felt like he did nothing with his life and he wanted to do some, something worthwhile for this. Right, he wanted to be in the newspaper. Well, not even in the newspaper. He wanted to do something worthy in his life, and this is the worthy thing that he wanted to do. And then it showed him be, uh, being one of the heroes of Dunkirk in the newspaper afterwards, showing that like right.
3: even though he died, he died a hero. Like, I, I understand that in-universe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying as a movie. I'm not sure uh, I felt it entirely earned. The, and it, it's weird to be talking about it that you have to earn a death.
1: I, I think you're right, though. You can't just like have somebody die five minutes into a movie and be like, "That's the saddest thing." Like, you can't just expect that. You really do right. have to build up and earn it. Uh, as a director or writer, you have to earn that emotion. You can't just put it yeah. out there and say, "This like, is what it is."
3: That's one of the things I'll give you about a lot of animated movies is they don't earn the deaths a lot of times. Yeah.
1: I, I agree with you on a lot of that. I think a lot of it is how much you attach to that actor's charisma. He's very strange. He feels right. very unnatural, but in a way that I really enjoy. Like, I enjoyed look, looking looking at him on screen. I think right. he's. I
3: liked him as an actor. Really interesting to watch.
1: I don't know what it is about that kid, but he just caught my attention. He's a kid. I think that's ultimately. Yeah, yeah like,
3: maybe. One of the hardest things to write is a realistic kid. And I know he's 18, no, 17. Mm-hmm. So he is still a kid. But, like, that's, like, especially in a war movie, it's really hard to capture the uneasiness of that era. Yeah. Like, I I only had it like four years ago, so it's kind of fresh (laughs) still for me, but like, just like the uncertainty of everything, like the feeling that you're not doing anything with your life, especially while I can't speak for 1940 Britain, I can speak for current America, where (laughs) the idea that if you don't do something worthy of your life, it's a wasted time and wasted life.
1: Um, Yeah, uh, at the time for both uh, the Great War, which eventually turned World War 1 in mm-hmm. our history books and World War 2 um Britain definitely had this thing about them to where they wanted to go earn their honor they wanted to go and fight for the place that they loved and they really did feel compelled to go and fight these wars and so much so to where underage kids 13 14 right. some in some cases 11 and 12 year olds snuck into the army because they just wanted to serve people and make their family proud and like protect this thing uh that they've grown up with and so there really was this sentiment there i'm not sure what it is like now because they don't uh, aren't nearly as involved in in wars i would say
3: right. i mean in america i still see that with a lot of like army kids and stuff
2: well, yeah. yeah uh you, you do see that a lot now with america but even it wasn't even just the british like it was a lot of other places too i know sure, america sure. there was a lot of uh, like a lot of A lot of weird things that they do with products nowadays started because of World War II. Like the fact that they put corn syrup instead of sugar inside of sodas is one good example of that because they needed the sugar for the war effort and they needed to, or uh, if you look in, I think it's 1942, pennies are actually made out of iron or 1941s because they needed the copper for the war. And so like, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, they had a lot of propaganda going towards like, you know, we got to do this for the war effort. What are you doing to do your part?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the most stable part of the story is the boat part. It feels very like a lost battle almost. Um to where the beach doesn't feel lost, it feels kind of bleak. Um and the skies you kind of feel like, oh here's here's like a hero. He's doing like this amazing brave thing. And then the boat you just get these people. there is just people. They're citizens. Yeah. And they're trying to do what they can. And you really do get this feeling of like, I don't want to see these people fail. And there's such small things that he does to make that work. Um, just like the dad, just kind of like knowing the military things, because later we learn that his oldest son died in the war three weeks in and just like the small things that he knows or the ways that he's acting. He's very sure of what he has to do and he just keeps doing it no matter what. Uh, it really makes you care about the character,
2: which honestly, I thought that this movie was going to be a lot more of that. But like I said, the promotion for this movie, the way that they made it seem is that it was the civilians who came in to save the soldiers off of the beach of Dunkirk. Uh, they made it seem like it was going to be a lot more of that, but a lot of it is actually them on the beach yeah, yeah. trying to figure out how are we going to get off this beach? How are we going to get back home? How are we going to survive this?
1: Yeah, Um, and to go back to Christopher Nolan and what he did for the research for this movie, uh, not just the interviews, but what he did to try to get in that mindset is he took that trip in an old boat in the way that they would have back in 1940 uh, to get rescued, and he took that trip and... He went with his wife and a producer, and uh, it took 19 hours. It's a 19-hour boat ride on those boats to... Just get there. Just, just to save those people, to go there and yeah. get back. That's, that's 19 hours. And so I think him having that experience and like going through that, it really put into his mind like the feeling that they were going through in a way that I think he wasn't quite able to experience with the, uh, the beach story. Because he can't feel that dread of being stuck on a beach without food and water um, for an entire week. But I think he very much got into the mindset of that boat, of being yeah. on that boat for 19 hours of right. that back and forth trip and uh, having a mission. I think he was, I think that's kind of why it feels like the most staple of everything.
2: Yeah. Once again, it is for a movie that's like you said, like what an hour and 26 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes, like an hour 46. Yeah. It's hard to get that dread of like whenever there's other things happening, that dread of waiting for a rescue for an entire week. Yeah. And you don't really get that whole sense of like they're dying of thirst and dying of, hunger when when they're on that beach but once again i feel like that also comes with the star uh, with the territory of this is a movie that's pg-13 so there's certain things that they just couldn't do like there's very minimal blood in this there's very minimal mm-hmm. death scenes in this movie
3: well there's uh, a lot of death scenes. well there's just a lot out. of death
2: but like not on camera right. deaths. like uh, one thing that i was thinking about like uh during this during the boat sinking uh that scene is intense but it could have been worse but i feel like that could have pushed it towards an r rating cuz like uh the thing about that they show with like scenes of people drowning is like the sense or that sense of panic where they start dragging other people back down into the water because they're trying to save themselves
1: yeah um i think there's a lot of things they could have done to make it feel more brutal
2: um but once again pg13
1: yeah i don't <laughs> think that he necessarily aims for that uh he definitely does have some r rated movies yeah. but i think this just feels better to be pg13 because i think it it's kind of a story that doesn't need to be able to be shown to youth and be accepted.
3: I don't... I can't imagine taking a kid to this movie, honestly.
1: Not a kid, but, like, I think a 14 or 15-year-old, Uh, instead of, like, Fury, let's say,
2: I think this is a much more level-headed view of war. Right. But I think that also kind of comes from mine because, like, I've seen some propaganda war movies, but I've also seen some anti-war movies that show some pretty horrific shit and, like...
1: Yeah, but I don't think, like, it being more horrific would have helped the movie in any way.
2: No, I, I don't think it... It wouldn't have hurt or helped the movie. I just think it probably, in a weird way, takes, I don't want to say the realism out of it, but, like, maybe the immersion a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. But once again, this is a personal standard yeah, standard that I'm setting. But once again, we've seen some pretty horrific things in some other war movies.
1: Yeah, I think, like, as war movies go, like, he's not trying to show brutal and death and pain. He's right. trying to show hope, ultimately. Yeah. Which most which, war movies don't show.
2: That is fair, because, uh, once again, some of those anti-war movies that I've seen, like, the... What makes them more anti-war is the fact that, like, it kind of shows that sense of dread at the end of it, more than that sense of hope. Yeah, I, I could see that. But I do like, I, I don't know. I feel like it could have been possible. Like, once again, I think part of it had to do with them trying to make this a PG-13 rated movie. I don't think he was trying for it. Um, I think it just ended up being
1: what he made. Um, I don't think Gore is ever on Christopher Nolan's mind. Like, he's never like, I need to show, like, the most violent thing. If but he shows what- violence, it's... It's well, stylized. yeah, I was going to
2: say, I was, a lot of the violence in this movie is very much stylized mm-hmm. more than it is gritty and realistic, which there are gritty and realistic scenes in this movie, but there's a lot of other scenes that are very much stylized, too.
1: Yeah, I just don't think, like, when fire fires happening in the ocean, like, I feel like you get the pain and the heartache and the anguish of those people burning yeah, alive. Do. And you don't uh, need to show, like, their flesh
2: burning off. It's not so much that. It's more or less like a... A good example would be like the very beginning scene, wherever uh, the main protagonist, which I don't even know if it says his name at all in the movie. I
3: don't think it does. No. I don't think, I don't it does, think really any character gets a name other than like the... The pilots citizens. and the citizens, pilots.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: But um, like that scene where they're running away from German fire and it shows his entire... Uh, what's left of his platoon dying on camera, but it's just uh, little you know, explosions happening around them and then falling down. Like that was very stylized to show no blood while they were dying. In a sense,
1: yeah, but I mean, a real gunshot doesn't show blood spraying everywhere.
2: Like well, that's a Tarantino. Definitely, I mean, yes, this is definitely not Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but like, yeah,
1: it's. I think it's more subdued,
2: honestly. Yeah. That or like um, whenever one of the are, uh, I don't know, like because like it's very direct. Are uh, it's very direct whenever they get shot for, like, for that. Like, so I'm not saying like the oil. Scene. Like that was pretty horrific with whenever they're catching
3: on fire in the middle of the ocean.
1: Yeah, like, I just don't think it but, needed the gore. I don't think it would have yeah. added anything to I,
2: it.
3: There is still but a it, lot of, like, really unsettling, like, you hear a guy get crushed by a boat yeah, against yeah. the planks yeah. at the start of the movie. And it's
1: really rough to hear because you yeah. know exactly what's happening, and you don't have to see it. I think that's one of the great things that Nolan does is, like, he's able to imply the things that are happening, and it wouldn't affect you either way. If you saw him get crushed and saw blood spewing out of his mouth while you see his ribs crush in, it doesn't change the feeling you get. Like you feel it either way,
2: yeah, or I'm not puke. like once again, it's not those <laughs> scenes, it's the scenes that are di- like you directly see what's happening, but they stylize it in a way to where there's not
3: any like where like it- <sighs> like the torpedo hitting like that kind of scene,
2: no, 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 like not even th- like except the beginning whenever they get shot uh whenever they're being bombed on the beach and you like legitimately watch a guy get hit by a bomb and he just watch his body almost cartoonishly fly up in the air, like that scene too. Which yeah, that happens pretty like, early on, but, like... Again, like once just, again, you don't need to have, like, the blood and gore of all that happening, or, like... But... I don't know. It, it Once again, it's just, like, certain little things like that that, I guess, kind of took some of the immersion out of it, and it almost feels like it's because they were aiming for a PG-13 rated movie.
1: I don't know. I could see why that would take you out of it, but I also just don't think it adds anything.
2: Well... There's and that's what of- I'm saying, like, I feel kind of... I'm kind
3: of on the fence about it, is what I'm trying to say. There's also just, like, we have a version of what these things look like in our mind, and that isn't inherently what it looks like. Like, someone getting shot is the best example of not at all what you think it looks like. Right. It's very
1: small. It's not this big, giant thing like you would see in, like, an action movie yeah. like, blood going
3: everywhere. Like, it's really
1: not what it yeah, is. Yeah, and, like,
3: the recoil that a body... From being shot is is not even close to how they do it in movies
1: yeah like most people have a ton of adrenaline flowing through them they don't even notice they're shot until a little while in
3: right right and like which i get that too but
2: um i feel like there's a balance to it like you said tarantino that's too much blood and too much gore too (laughs) that's too stylized to where like it's ultra gory for the sake of being ultra gory this one it feels like it's downplayed but that's just once yeah, again, I don't know
1: if it, it, I don't know. I just don't think it he needs it's,
2: it. It's, it's, yeah, I was gonna, it, well, it's underplayed in the same way that they would, uh, like whenever someone gets shot in this movie, it feels like the same way someone gets shot in a Bond film.
1: Yeah, I'm fine with it. Uh, ultimately, Christopher Nolan does want as many people to come see his movies as possible.
2: Yeah. But he is
1: definitely, I'm going to make the movie I want to make. Yeah. Um, everything that you see on camera is there because he wants it there. He's given, f- he directed, produced everything. Like, he has full control over everything. And yeah, it
2: does say that at the beginning of the film too, that he wrote directed and produced this movie yes
1: yeah, so like everything that's in it this is exactly what he wanted this is 100 his vision
2: yeah so like he's not like changing what he
1: wants like everything isn't is exactly what he wants so it's not it's not him like going down to a different level
2: but i don't know I, I feel on the fence about it that's just me though
1: i mean if you want that big giant gory war movie they're definitely that's out not, there <laughs> it's not <laughs> that <Yeah>. i want <laughs> gore
2: in it it just i feel like there's just certain scenes that are i don't know it 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 just takes the immersion out. It feels more like watching a play compared to watching or being immersed in the scene and feeling the same dread that the people would feel on the beach. I get where you're coming from, but I disagree. Yeah, (laughs) we're agreeing to disagree on this. Um, I understand that. So yeah, a couple last
1: little things here. Uh, There were 10 or so boats that you see in the end when all civilian boats are going there that were actually boats used on that day for Dunkirk um, that helped rescue people. Uh, I don't know which boats they are, they were actually boats that had been kept in good shape and restored and were used Could in the I film. Say, probably not the grandpa boat. Probably not the grandpa boat. No, <laughs>
2: but more or less just boats that were, like you said, were, if anything, they might've been in a museum. Cause I yeah. feel like that would be something that you'd see in a museum.
3: It's very possible. Why is this man who gets the
2: real ass boats? <laughs> <laughs> it's once again, Christopher Nolan. I, none of this surprises me because of some of the stories that I heard about inception and because of what I heard about, um, interstellar.
0: Like I, things like, that they I did for
2: that movie to like that way it's actually something you see on frame like the fact that they actually built the tesseract because it was the only thing that they are uh, do to make him happy short of like building an actual fucking black hole to <laughs> throw matthew mcconaughey in i'm sure or, that he tried to make
1: a black hole oh, i'm sure he did <laughs> uh, or like um
2: the scene in inception wherever uh he's like floating through that hotel room and how they built an actual like rig set with that hallway to like yeah make it when they like
3: high school musical he <laughs>
2: has been on this for weeks
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: listen if it didn't come out after high school musical <laughs> um oh yeah like i know that's who this man is yeah he's insane but this man the fact this man has the audacity <laughs> to do it
2: yeah it's It's kind of commendable
3: baffling
1: it's extremely commendable he is one of the few filmmaking ass filmmakers in the industry still (laughs) like this dude just goes out of his way and he's like this is my exact vision and somehow wb's like oh fuck it i guess do whatever you want it's
3: literally because he's like hey i made you a billion dollars would you like to make another million
1: actually it's probably he's like hey remember that batman trilogy where you made all the money can i just make whatever i want now
3: i
2: guess they know that he's gonna make money off of it i think the one thing that's also commendable about it is He's able to make these exact visions how he wants to make them, but he can do it without being another Kubrick.
1: Yes, he, he's not a gigantic asshole. Yeah. He is fairly uh, charismatic, actually, from what I understand. Like, he works with his actors, and he's very respectful, and he doesn't push them to do things they're uncomfortable with. If they're uncomfortable with it, he's not going to make them do it.
3: Right. He got Harry Styles to be in a war movie.
1: Right, and he did good. <laughs> Like he's just good in this movie. It's insane.
3: Maybe Harry Styles is just the next big actor. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe. Uh, probably not because I, mean, well, I don't think he's done anything since this movie. No, but I don't
2: know. <laughs> well, it's kind of one of those things. You'd be surprised. Well, I maybe not surprised. But I was going to say like there's a decent amount of actors who moved to L. A. Because they wanted to get their band up off the ground and then ended up becoming actors instead. Yeah, I think one Camille of the most Harry
1: Styles was definitely music, and then
3: this apparently yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) maybe he'll be in other movies who knows
3: but i don't know he's in tenet who knows that would be funny actually (laughs) it'll be interesting to see
2: (laughs) it'll be interesting to see if he is in another movie and if he does nearly as well yeah it's one of those things like one thing that i found out recently and i think this is i mostly saw from like the voice acting side of this is there's a lot of people in the voice acting community that they're actually really good actors, but they get really shitty directions sometimes. And so sometimes people get uh, a rap of like, oh, they're just really bad at doing their job, but they keep getting jobs. Uh, when that's not that's, the case.
3: The fa- it's sad to me that people are so disconnected that they, they don't are. think voice actors are actually good actors. Yeah.
2: The last time they actually saw that was uh, there's actually some voice actors that I've seen do some really incredible jobs on other works, but they did um, the Silent Hill remakes. Or not, the uh, the Silent Hill 2 and 3 HD remakes, and they did the voice acting for that, but they had shitty direction for that, and so it just came off as them being not, or, like, so, like, the people who were talking about, like, that did the reviews of it, and, like, this is why the remakes are shitty, and you should play play the original ones instead, like, they shit on the voice actors a lot for that, and I've seen them in other things.
1: The Silent Hill 2 and 3 voice acting isn't good. Yeah, and that's
2: It's weird.
3: It is <laughs> It's and not
2: I agree. F- good though. Yeah, I agree with no. you with that, but I've also seen the same voice actors
3: do other projects and that, that they did really well on. Yeah. It's Cuz it's such a faceless industry. Yeah. That people just assume that this is someone who they've never heard of doing a voice and because it's bad, it's obviously their fault yeah, right? yeah. and not bad direction and it's like Um there's like four voice actors that people actually know if they know any.
1: Yeah, like I one, know quite a few, but... One um, I was about to mention. Uh, what's the guy that does Joel's voice? Oh, uh, Troy Baker? Troy Baker, yeah. He plays Bruce Banner in Marvel's Avengers. And it's so good. Like, it's so fucking good. Yeah. It's insane. Troy
2: Baker's known for doing some really good voice acting. I actually know of a movie that he was in that he just... The movie itself is bad, but like it's <laughs> actually a bunch of voice actors that they got to do Uh, one of those found footage style movies. Oh, yeah. And found footage style movies are kind of... I don't want to say dead in the water right away, because... <laughs> There are a couple that are good, but, like, it's is rare it, to it find one that's really animated good. animated
3: found footage? He's like, look, we found this footage! <laughs> it's just animated.
2: <laughs> That'd be really good. <laughs> but no, once again, like, he doesn't do a great job in that, but once again, I think that has to do with the direction of it.
1: Yeah. It's definitely, they have to be able to bond with that character. Exactly. And have a director that understands cast honestly it's casting yeah you well, can have somebody really amazing but if they're cast poorly then it's gonna
3: be bad right like and i think I guess with it, actors people understand that more but it's just voice actors i think people forget well no th- people actors. forget that with
2: actual with actual actors too a good example of that would be like lena or lena headley i think is how you say her name the one who plays cersei on uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like apparently she, for the longest time she was a very hated actress because she did a good job our uh, job <laughs> playing a villain. Yeah. But she's done other roles that she did rather well too and it's but because they can't disassociate her like like oh she's a bitch in this film so she's obviously a bitch in real life. People right. are That's, dumb. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they yeah, are. <laughs> people are dumb. As what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. uh uh-huh. One last thing here for us. All Maybe. right.
3: Give us the
2: the, us
1: the scoop. So as I said before, uh veterans were interviewed about their actual experiences and those experiences were used to help shape the story of the movie. Um, there were some odd number, somewhere in nine, I don't know the exact number, um, veterans that were interviewed that went to the premiere of Dunkirk. And they came out and Chris was like, okay, well, like, what do you think of the movie? And they're like, it's actually extremely realistic. It feels like exactly what happened to us. Um, except one thing. It was much louder in the movie than it was in real life. <laughs> The planes aren't that loud. Of course. <laughs> of course.
3: So, yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan is the man who made a plane too loud. So, yeah, there you go. Although Very realistic. Is, too loud. That is definitely a movie thing you need, though. Dunkirk louder than
1: war.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: that's one of the things about dumb people is, like, if people think that if you can't hear it, that's bad. Yeah. And I don't get that. Yeah, that's, like, that's true, yeah. Was it? it was a, there was a car that was way more efficient than any car out there, but people couldn't hear it, so they thought it, the engine wasn't good.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> so Are you they had about a the Prius.
3: I I don't know, but they had to artificially add an engine sound to get people <laughs> to buy it.
2: That's really dumb. Well, I guess another good example of something like that too is uh, I remember in high school, people got really excited about putting cherry bombs on their car. Which a cherry bomb is the closest thing you can have to legally having straight pipes on your car. Stupid. So it's like oh. the loudest you can legally have your car. I meant cherry bombs, like you the said. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Why are people
0: putting
3: that on their car?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> there,
2: there's a type of muffler that like very minimally muffles the sound coming out of your exhaust, and so it makes your car really loud. And they're known as cherry bombs because they're re- or they're like red and kind of look like a firecracker, but, about- <laughs> this, but you know, like a two and a half
3: feet long. I'm clearly allowed to check his eyes. I would definitely want something that does literally offset that just makes it quieter because yeah, I too. don't like the sound of cars. Yeah, me well, either. and it's usually the people who have like those big obnoxious
2: V8s inside of their cars too that like, yeah, like, that, like that really loud were, like deep. drinking it all the time. They're like, oh, the
3: taste of V8. I'm sorry. <laughs> I <love tomato> <laughs> no, yeah. But
2: yeah, they just like the sound of a loud V8 or like a loud... Um, a good example would be like people who drive Harleys because Harleys on purpose are very loud.
3: There was one at the gas station. It was, uh, he's also blaring music, which you n- <laughs> who does that on a motorcycle? First off. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah. And then he's like, <laughs> and then he like comes out. He comes by and my car. Like, I was like, does he think cause I have an old car? I like noise. <laughs> <laughs> for, no, for he context, likes, he, I, yeah, he likes
2: noise. Therefore in association, everyone around him likes the loud
1: noise.
3: Obviously. Yeah. Obviously.
2: Yeah. Last little thing here.
1: Uh, before we get into our last thoughts, uh, the budget and all that good stuff.
3: The budget was seven cameras.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the estimated budget was somewhere around 100 million. Um, that's just production, not advertising, which this did have
3: quite a bit of advertising.
1: The opening weekend, they made 51 million. Uh, domestic, which is just the United States, was 188 million. Worldwide, it made $525 million in its theatrical run. This would be a movie that probably bring to yeah it did very well overseas very well that's where it yeah. made uh 337 million of its money nice that sounds about right uh yeah so yeah that that that's all i have for yeah. behind the scenes let's get on to our final thoughts uh let's start with robbie
2: i did like the movie it was rather enjoyable um like i said i think part of it is i might be a little bit just desensitized because of some of the other war movies i've seen <laughs> growing up in like even though yeah and his time in Nam.
3: i don't don't put that please
2: (laughs) like a lot of movies that i watched dealing with like the vietnam war even like i said the last movie that i watched before this uh dealing with war was that movie come and see and that movie is super fucking dreadful so i think i might be a little bit more desensitized to uh some of the dread that was in this movie but i did did still feel it and i still feel like there were some things that they kind of not so much held back on but like it felt like it wasn't all there in a weird way but other than that like the movie itself it um the timing is a little bit weird on it too like i was saying with e but i feel like a second viewing around would probably help with that a lot as we were talking because it takes yeah. a week a day and a, an hour and it tries to compress it all together into one large sum Sum. uh second viewing i think helps solidify the structure right. of the narrative a lot more. but seeing it like I said going in blind is a little bit jarring and it's a little bit hard to kind of put it all together but All in all, this is very much an enjoyable movie, but I think I feel like at least me and Dryer, big Christopher Nolan fans, like going all the way back to even his Batman days. I think we were still big uh, Nolan fans. First movie Batman.
1: (laughs) My my introduction to him was Memento,
2: so that was fun. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't realize he actually did Memento. That was actually that was apparently my introduction to him too. I just didn't know it at the time. (laughs) But um, yeah, like he just does film very well, and you you are right; it does a very good job of bringing hope. To hmm. what is essentially a hopeless situation. Yeah, it captures that feeling very well. It does. Uh, I would say it's like a seven out of ten. Cool. Yeah, it cool. is an. Like I said, it's an enjoyable movie. It's not the best war movie I've ever seen, but it is a very good one still. Uh, e I good movie. I am not the audience. Ninety nine percent of the films that we do on this podcast, you're not the audience. Except yeah, the other one for Center Mind.
0: No. <laughs> uh,
3: it's it's really hard to. So it's really, it's a good movie, like I just said, and it's hard to really explain how I can talk about this movie in such a positive light, but still <laughs> claim I'm not the audience, and it really just has to do, I'm not, I don't really care for war movies, and this does the best job at not feeling as much as a war movie, I never felt like I was being told to die for my country, which is always a good Yes, that's always a good sign. (laughs) Yeah, but, I mean, ultimately, Christopher Nolan is Christopher Nolan. He knows his stuff. He knows how to write a character. Like I said, I love how much you can tell without having to say anything with these characters. Yes. It is weird that he does such a good example of show, don't tell, when he clearly loves telling you as well. He does love exposition. He's a huge fan. (laughs) But I think, ultimately, I'm going to also give it a 7 out of 10. And that for a war movie, that's really good for me.
1: <laughs> cool. Um. And as for me, I I obviously really really love this film. Uh, like I said, it's not Nolan's best, but it's very nearly my favorite war movie. Not quite. Uh, nineteen seventeen overtakes it for me as being just just on another level. I would say this and uh, nineteen seventeen are on a whole another level of war films, and they personalize the the whole experience quite a bit. Very different feelings out of both films yeah, as well, yeah. though. But yes, I, I really, really do love this movie. Uh, it has all the Nolanisms that you've come to know <laughs> and love. It's very timey-wimey. Uh, characters feel uh, disjointed while still feeling very jointed. involved. in all, <laughs> Very <laughs> jointed, yes. Thank you. <laughs> involved <laughs> in everything. Just very, very Christopher Nolan. Yeah. It's, it's, it's
2: very loud. If, Even yes, though we, it's extremely loud. That being said, we didn't actually listen to it at that loud of
1: a volume. Uh, no, it was very quiet actually yeah. because uh, if I turned it up any more, then the bass would have shaken the sofa, and that would have been <laughs> a problem.
3: Also, the neighbors probably would. Yeah, the the
2: neighbors, neighbors would not not have enjoyed that.
1: that. Yeah, so I, I really love this movie. Huge, huge fan. I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. Okay. I highly recommend it to just people who love film. Honestly, just the fact that he got this thing made in the way that he
2: did is incredible. Okay. But yeah. Thank you guys for watching this movie.
3: Yeah. Not uh, a problem. Was... Thanks for inviting me back after my two week hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to get a hold of us, e can they do that? You can get on our Facebook and our Twitter. The last ones in, and the last ones in podcast. And we are having. <laughs> we have an email. Send us your witty comments. I don't have one this week.
1: send us your (laughs) witty comments we have one for next week (laughs) tell (laughs) us about
2: your bread and jam stories (laughs) yeah there's bread and jam in this bread and jam in this movie looks really good tell us
3: your favorite jam there we go yeah yeah. (laughs) you can email us at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com once again that is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com bam robbie take us out If you're out there
2: protesting, protest safely, get checked, wear a mask, wear gloves if you can. If not, stay home or stay alone, stay alive.
1: There you have it, people. Uh, Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. Yeah. Uh, Have a great week.
3: Bye. Good night.
2: I feel like we talked about bread and jam so much during the actual movie we forgot to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been the perfect time for you to do a sound check. No, yeah, I never actually it. think about it.
1: <laughs> I always miss like the best stuff because I'm not recording too.
2: Yeah, or it's butt. one thing I tried doing whenever I was in control of sound check, but
3: I just don't know me.
2: <laughs> well, the way that I see is we get our natural voices
3: whenever we're just talk- bullshitting back and forth. That's true. Okay. Except me, because you know me. I I literally just go between yelling and... Yeah, if you're really quiet. excited, then... I'm between way too loud and kind of too quiet. <laughs> I don't have that.
2: Just, you know, kind of talking like this throughout the most of the podcast. And
3: then that scene was
2: bullshit! So I was gonna make a joke about how it's about a band and how there's a guy named Kirk in there and eventually he just, like, all right, they kick him out and they say, like, you know what? We're done with you, Kirk. We're done, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> But E stole that, so I can't use
0: that joke now.
3: now it's the internet. Reusing jokes is what they do. Yeah. It's
1: a meme now. IMAX screen we have here isn't a real IMAX screen. It doesn't use the proper projector, and it doesn't have the proper screen size.
3: Just call it that.
1: Um, it looks much bigger because it's a very small auditorium. Uh, I did a lot of research. There is one true IMAX uh, theater in Colorado Springs, and it's at a fucking museum. I mean, not, not even Colorado Springs, Colorado. All of Colorado, <laughs> probably a, in Denver. Uh, then, yeah, it's a museum in Denver. Can you? Uh,
3: do they use it at least?
1: Uh, I think they mostly do like documentaries and stuff, but occasionally
3: they'll do like real things. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds think? about right. Whatever. I I don't need to. Oh. <laughs> a milk slushy, a milkshake is not that. Maybe a frosty I could buy is a milk slushy.
1: Mm, I don't know. You'd have to try it, I guess.
3: <laughs> I, well, I don't even like coffee. So yeah, so that's it's not like. Do you like chai tea? No, I don't like tea either. I feel chai like tea dumb.
2: is different than normal tea, though. Yeah. Do you like the Yoo-hoo? one you put the balls like, in?
3: No. no. Yoo hoo! Um, I tried it once, and it's weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I
2: did try the <laughs> boba tea once too, and it, it is pretty weird. Boba I'm tea's not, filling. Very strange. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the balls in boba tea.
3: They're weird. You don't like guzzling balls?
2: Not particularly, I
3: guess. Sounds like I mean, nice I thought thing. I would, but I don't it was, know. It sounds nice. Do you know? I don't know. Triple X.
1: Vin Diesel action movie.
2: Oh, yeah. Horn?
1: No. No. It's just called Triple
2: X. Yeah, there, oh. there's a PG-13 rated movie called Triple X, and like that's because <laughs> the secret agent involved is Nate or is code named Triple X. Yeah. That's a terrible anyway, decision. there's a stunt anyway. in there
1: um, that was supposed to be a, if we do it this one time, we do it. If not, then we have to pass. They're ziplining from a plane or a glider of some kind and under a bridge onto a boat. I think six stuntmen died trying that. What? That sounds yeah. about right for that movie. Um. Literally, they kept trying, and people kept dying, and they just kept doing it until they got it. And well,
2: they they kept doing it
3: after one person died. Mm-hmm. They did it way
0: more after that one person right. died. I think but... I know the
2: one you're talking about. It wasn't a zipline. It was uh, he had like a h- hook shot basically, and yeah. he parachuted onto it. Yeah. But he had to go underneath the bridge for that.
0: And uh, as you can imagine, they kept hitting the bridge. Yeah. Hollywood's really so fucked. <laughs>